Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey team, what is happening? Hello for your Friday. Your Friday. Friday. Yay, yay. Who's cray? I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. Just talking to yourself on a microphone and really know what's going on. <laughs> hey guys. Listen, this is your uh, typical Friday episode for Private Parts. Um, how is your day going? It's Christmas period at the moment. It's freezing outside down south in the UK. So if you're down south and you're in London, I feel you. I've, been, I've got a little Vespa, right, that I drive around on. It's a, what you ask what it is, I'll tell you. It's a touring 125cc mofos driving around looking wicked (laughs) with no gloves on and it gets freezing that's what i've been doing anyway we have a great episode for you today what we decided to do is uh, something a little bit differently for our friday episode is we wanted to give you a sneak peek into what's on offer on our patreon page now our patreon page is very simple it's a subscription-based page which basically means that you can sign up to different tiers you can get access to all the old catalog of episodes completely ad-free. You get access to our our new episodes, all ad-free, so there's no ads whatsoever on it. You get episodes to our mental health podcast, which is called Voicemail, which I do with Josh Roberts. It's excellent. We talk about all things that people don't normally talk about. And also access to our intellectual stimulation episodes, which we do with different people. It's insane. And today's episode is Peter Blexley, who is, you would have seen him on Hunted. He was the chief officer on Hunted which I did with Spencer Matthews. He tracked us down, the little bastard. So we spoke about that. Um, he was a ex-detective for Scotland Yard. He has been involved in lots of different things undercover. It's just simply insane what this episode brings to you. So this is a sneak peek into Patreon, but we're giving it to you on your Friday. Now, if you like this episode, head over to our Instagram page at Private Podcast. Go and click on our link tree and you can sign up to our Patreon page. It costs less than a pint, going up to about 10 quid different tiers that you want. It's really fun. It's really exciting. We're going to offer you so many more things on that page. But here's a sneak peek. Hope you like this episode. It was an absolute insane storytelling from Peter. So here we go. Alex is on the episode as well. Get ready for it. Our Friday episode with Peter Blexley. Enjoy. Peter, I think we I think we need to clear the air. I think you and I, you and I, we need a we need to shoot the shit with each other. Shoot the shit. Go for it. Oh, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna put it out there. When Spencer and I did hunted, you were lucky, lucky to even get a sniff of where we are. And still to this day, I have dreams about not being caught and somehow you guys caught me. I don't know how it happened, what happened. Still furious about the whole thing. You need to get over it, I'm not going to get over it. You you really need to get over it, okay? The, The harsh reality is... We were too good for you. Oh my god, this is ridiculous. You weren't. So, have you seen? How, it's how the you, luckiest thing I've ever seen. How did you get caught? Well, we, we were in the middle of Cumbria, in the middle of nowhere, and and I said to Spencer, I said, "Finish your breakfast. We need to go." Yeah. And he said, "Oh, I'm just going to have one more bacon roll." And and that 
That effing bacon roll was the reason we got caught because then we walked across the courtyard. We were staying in a house across the courtyard and we walked across the courtyard and as we did, um, the car, uh, the hunter's car was just driving sort of near it and they mm. saw us walking across. Oh, and no. that's how we were caught because we didn't go... It, it, complacency. You'd left a trail of clues. Remember when you stayed at that previous house and yeah. you'd laid your hands on all those burner phones and <laughs> and you'd try to, yes. to you know send us off the trail and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you actually left a treasure trove of information for us to work upon. Okay, so you and Spencer only have yourselves to blame. You and him can argue about your bacon roll and all that for as long as you like. But the bottom line was we caught you. Jamie Lang, your time on the run is over. Uh, You've been hunted down. It was... Boom! <laughs> you must have felt so good when, oh, when you got oh, those a, cap- a capture is always great. You know, I mean, I've left the show now, you know, but I did six series of it. Yeah. Four of the main show and two of the celebrity. Of course, Jamie and uh, Spencer were on the first celebrity version of yeah. it. Mm. And... Uh, our, our, our initial escape was the best thing. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you two boys, right? What do you expect? <laughs> did you, did you uh, helicopter, helicopter, helicopter Look at us. Did you think you are James Bond? Oh, yeah, yeah they <laughs> did. Yeah, they did. And the best the name's thing, lying. The, the best thing about <laughs> it is that, it, 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 and we'll get a point, but in the, um, in the show, uh, Peter says, if those, boy, if those boys are clever, this is you, by the way. Uh, he has, <laughs> Never a guess. <laughs> yeah, if, it, if those boys are clever, they'll just, they'll just switch off the engine and sit in the water. And then we did. So, we sw- we switched off the engine and sat in the water, waved, and you went, "Oh fuck!" Like that, because you knew then you weren't going to catch us. And then we went and just sped off. It's, un- it's unbelievable. It's the best thing I realised Peter was an 18th century chimney sweep <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah, looks like you just put Rory Bremner out of work, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you. But also, what I think maybe a lot of people do know you from the Challenge Four show, but also being an author and things like that. But you were head of Scotland Yard. Yard as well. I, I was a Scotland Yard detective. Yeah. I was a lowly detective constable, but I chose specialism mm-hmm. rather than climbing that greasy pole of promotion. Okay. And of course, my specialist area was working undercover because I was a pretty convincing gangster. So for over is a decade, is that what it was? Yeah, for over a decade, oh my I God. I had this bonkers life whereby I travelled widely, both in the UK and much much further afield, pretending to be a gangster, negotiating to buy. Millions upon millions of pounds worth of drugs, guns, plotting to kill people, buying millions of Jesus. dollars worth oh of counterfeit currency, but- plotting to murder people when, you know, when a, an aggrieved wife or partner or business partner would come forward, we'd hear that they were looking to recruit a, an assassin, enter me, and I would say, I'm your hitman, let's talk business. Oh, you know, and, so nice. and all that kind of did, stuff. Did so you ever have a moment where you thought, do you know what? I actually quite like this life. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should just become a gangster. No, no, I didn't. Thank you very much. I uh, always remembered who employed me, what I was there to do, and uh, that's and, insane. Yeah, so, so no, going rogue. Didn't but does, does that ever happen to undercover guys? Eventually, it's called going so, rogue, isn't it? Where that <laughs> undercover policing is fraught with danger and mm. tension, not only with regards to the people you're sitting down with and negotiating with, because, mm. you know, you are entering into that murky world of serious and organised crime. Mm. But unfortunately, many undercover cops, including me, tend to pay a high price for it because it's so high-octane work. Yeah. Mm. It takes so much out of you that me and some other colleagues have ended up having mental health issues mm. Our careers have ended prematurely like mine did because mm. basically I left the Metropolitan Police via a lock-in psychiatric ward. 
Did you no really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've been hospitalised twice because of mental health issues. A- anxiety? But, what is it? Oh, it was psychosis? a bit more than anxiety. Was I it? mean, I've had various kind of uh, diagnoses over the years yeah. from schizophrenia to anxiety and depression oh, no. to psychotic episodes, all that kind of thing. Nobody's ever really been able to pin it down and pigeonhole yeah, yeah, yeah. what was wrong with me. But I had a catastrophic mental health breakdown mm. while I was in the cops because I was living in the witness protection program. Oh my god! I got involved in one case where we seized a huge amount of heroin, and when the bad guys got locked up, they had a lot of time to think about you know how, how they ended up in that cell, mm. and they quite rightly worked out that I was an undercover cop. Oh my god! So they then worked on the theory that if they kill me, they kill the evidence. This was discovered on an FBI phone tap in a bar in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, my God. Then a confidential report got stolen, which had my real name in it. I mean, it was a complete oh tale of woe. Oh, my God. And one night I'm driving home from work at a fairly early finish, so I'm going to my local boozer, terrific, have a drink, see my mates, wind down a bit. And as I'm driving along, the mobile phone goes, and it's one of the bosses at Scotland Yard, and he said, Blex, don't go home. And I went, okay, um, are you going to tell me, you know, why I can't go home? He said, no, get your girlfriend to go to your flat, pack an overnight bag and be here at Scotland Yard nine o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll explain why. Well, you know, I was a detective, so I got to Scotland Yard at eight, not nine, you know what I mean? (laughs) And when I got there, a colleague of mine went, Blex, have you seen this? And he pulled a report out of his pocket, which ran to some six or seven pages. And I said, no. He said, right. There's a copy for you. You're going to need it. He locked me in a tiny office and I read this report, which was the tale of how the undercover operation had unfolded, everything else that went around it, because this had global, international links with organised crime, literally sort of spanning the world. Then, of course, it got to the point where they were talking about this plot to kill me. And throughout this report, they printed my real name. My real name was in it. Now, I've got a very unusual surname, Right? And the, and the way it's spelled, yeah. I think there's only about 14 or 15 Blexleys in the UK, and I fathered most of them. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm joking. <laughs> only three. Right? Um, you know, and, 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 and I could not believe that this report, number one, had my name in it. Yeah. Number two, had been compiled and taken out of police premises. Number three, had been left in the back of a, an unmarked police car while that officer went shopping. Yeah, righto. Oh. And, of course, you can guess what happened next, can't you? The car gets broken into, that report get, gets stolen. Oh, right. So now the bad guys who previously only knew me as Peter with the ponytail, yeah. you know, now could have had that report with my real name in it. I would be very easy to find thereafter. Oh, so quite literally the following day when I've got to the yard and all this has unfolded and there's pandemonium going on, by the close of play that day the senior bosses had decided that I had to abandon my home, abandon my name and be parachuted into the witness protection programme. Oh, my God. And I spent two years continually in fear mm. of the assassin's bullet in the back of my head, oh my right, living in an area where I had to hide who I was, what I did. You know what I mean? Going out and mow the lawn on a Sunday morning was a nightmare because you'd think the neighbours are going to go, oh, hello, and you're the new guy. And mm. what do you do? And where are you from? Like, oh, you know, I just don't need this. Anyway, I had two that years paranoia, of that. That paranoia, that mm. paranoia just constantly building up, 
d- destroys anyone. Every morning, checking under the car to make sure some bastard hadn't put a bomb under it. Oh, my God. Oh my God. You know, oh and God. I had two years of this, right? Now, I did play a part in my own downfall because I drank too much and I smoked too much. Mm. But that's because I'd get home, my head's going at a million miles an hour. And you had to calm it down. And I self-medicated foolishly, so yeah. I didn't help the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Billy, what happens is I can imagine you've got that going on, but also having, you know, because you're playing a role your whole life, you you, you sometimes get conf- you, you probably lose sense of who you are as well as an individual because you kind of you don't know, you you sort of you you're playing the role all the time. So yeah. then, who are you? Well, on any given day, right? Because. I'm living in witness protection program, but they still want me to go to work every day and they still want me to work undercover, right? So this would be a typical day. I get up in the morning mm. in this hideout. It wasn't a home, you know, it was a hideout. Right. I come downstairs and there's the mail on the front door mat, okay? So there's your reminder that you're living in that name mm. in this hideout. So that's the first personality that I've adopted for the day, yeah. right? I then jump in the car having checked it, of course, right, and drive to work. And that was my favourite hour of the day because I'd bang on the radio, yeah, and for that hour I could be myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then I get to work and the governor goes, Blex, another undercover job come in. We want you to do it. So I then go off, meet the bad guys, professing to be whatever role it was I was playing that day. Mm. So there you go. By mid-morning, I've been three different people. Oh, my God. It's, That's crazy. You're psycho- it's, you're, you're, your psychology would be all over the place because you just you don't know what's going it's, on. It's like the movie Split. Have you seen that where he's got like 22 personalities? Yeah, 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 yeah. It must be so hard to, to keep track of, of, of what, who you are. Yeah. And then I get home, of course, and, and out of all the local businesses, who was the bloke that liked me the most? The geezer that ran the off license. Yes. Because I was one of his best customers. I go in there, I'll have another booze, I get home, I drink, my head's kind of scrambled. Mm. And eventually, after two years of that, I just had this catastrophic mental health breakdown. Yeah, yeah. And uh, ended up in a lock in psychiatric ward where, fortunately, the wonderful nurses, mental health workers, doctors, psychiatrists, of the NHS began mm. to piece me back together again. Uh, and, and it takes time with those things. I, 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 can, I can only imagine what you would have to go through. And I think I did a, um, I did a TV show, it was called uh, a Famous and Fighting Crime, weird title, but it was where I became a volunteer police officer. And I did it for two weeks or three weeks in Peterborough. And what was amazing, firstly, there's 25,000 volunteer police officers. They don't get paid anything, just do it. What I realized about police officers being the police force is that they put their, literally their lives on the line every single day. And they get shouted at, screamed at, all these different things. They're not paid very much at all. And their hours are shitty because you have to do morning shifts, afternoon shifts, things like that. And Mm -hmm. I thought, these guys are just, you know, this is what they're doing. And they're getting, you know, and then they just have to, when what happens at the end is they see horrible things, you know, and then they just have to go home and just, you know, get on with it. And it's terrible. You know, know, there's no kind of like support, I suppose, towards the, you know, like people like yourselves or these individuals or whatever. That's from what I can see. Well, there's a saying that some in policing use and they say welfare is just a poster on the wall, right? Because they don't feel they're properly supported like they should be. Yeah, yeah. Okay, British policing is in crisis. Let's not beat around the bush. Mm -hmm. And and it's attracted, quite rightfully, some very, very adverse publicity of late and there are massive concerns, particularly about the Metropolitan Police, the culture, um, a lot of the behaviour and attitudes which desperately need to be addressed, um, Funnily enough, I haven't had a phone call about that, but anyway. Um, and I'm serious, you know, I think I could offer a lot, but anyway. Um, it, it, it is in crisis and quite rightfully many people have deep concerns about it. That said, 
there are still tens upon tens of thousands of courageous, wonderful men and women yeah. out there putting their lives on the line, making a difference to people in their moment of crisis every day. Yeah. And they are truly wonderful people mm. who will never get rich. Yeah, exactly. Okay, who will never be universally popular. Yeah. And despite, as you quite rightly say, being spat at, kicked, punched, abused yeah. on an almost daily basis, put that uniform on the next day and go back out to help people. Well... Mm. Frickin' said. It's so true. And honestly, when I did the show, I, I was just in complete awe of these people. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Because there's a stigma towards the police because they're the police, or it's us against them. And it, they're just incredible people, I mm. think. It, I also... Or, there are... This is such a weird... There are bad people out there, aren't there? Of course. It's not just the movies. Like, the things that happen, the drug deals, the trafficking. Did you experience and see all of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was immersed in that drugs industry. Not at street level, but at a wholesale and international level. Mm. You know, for a decade or more. What? what um, are, how? Like, what? Are, how much are they selling, making? How does it? How does it work? I, I was buying millions of pounds worth of drugs. What? You know, quite. You know, during my time undercover, you know, I was regularly buying and, and arranging and dealing sometimes with the importation and, and, and the purchasing and putting together huge deals for considerable amounts of money. You know, it was not unusual for me to, to go out on, on the plot, as we'd call it, and show the bad guys 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand in readies. So you're, are you carrying a briefcase full of cash? 300 grand is very heavy, right? You don't get yeah. 300 grand in a suitcase, <laughs> even if you've got 50 pound notes. You know, and needless to say, the bosses at the yard were often very, very nervous. I'm going out for <laughs> 300 grand. Oh, the, sorry, it got lost. <laughs> you know, where's, yeah. where's Peter? He's yeah. actually in Barbados. And, 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 you have, and you had to count it all out and then count it all back in at the end of the op. You know, so there'd be people sitting in the office after I flashed 300 grand. Yeah, and they're going, oh, no, no, yeah. Oh, so you get a counting machine and that, but all that, you know. And so, so you know, I, I knew that industry inside out and at one point in my in, in my life foolishly after i'd left the police i tried to replicate the high and the buzz yeah. and, the, and the thrill that i'd got by becoming way too familiar with cocaine myself yeah. stupidity personified mm. right you know and i haven't touched an illegal drug for i don't know 17 18 years or something you know but, that's so but funny, I, I know the industry and quite frankly please forgive me jamie just in, yeah, interrupting yeah, so of there. course our current drug laws and our current drug policy is utter, utter nonsense. The war on drugs has manifestly failed. The Misuse of Drugs Act was enacted in 1971. Here we are 50 years later. It's not fit for purpose. The only way that we are ever going to try and tackle this problem properly is by looking at it as a sort of harm reduction kind of policy. And how do we do that? By legalising and regulating the industry mm. and not leaving it in the hands of criminals, right? Would we allow criminals to run our railways. I know there's a joke here, you know yeah, what I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but would we? <laughs> would we allow criminals to run the NHS? Cue another gag, gentlemen, you know, I know, right? Okay, <laughs> right? Okay, would we? Yeah, yeah, no, we let criminals run this multi-trillion dollar, euro, yen, pound, whatever you want to call it, industry. We leave it entirely in the hands of criminals why do you think that is it's such a big question but why do you think there is this resistance to re like you know re-examining re drug law well the drug law reform movement is gaining some traction right. and believe it or not both the labor party and the tories have groups set up to examine 
drug law reform. And, and they do have pockets of people that are very much in favour of it, mm. more in one party perhaps than another. But of course, as long as you've got Mrs Miggins, right, who lives in her Cotswold chocolate box lovely cottage, who reads the Daily Mail and believes that all drugs are bad, yeah, and they're all going to kill you, right, and we have to stop it and we have to throw everybody in jail, which of course is a nonsense, mm. okay, then unfortunately Mrs Miggins and her friends will put pressure on their local MP who will therefore be afraid to stand up and say, we need to legalise and regulate this industry. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hmm. Okay, and that is why, that's what we're up against. Of course, little does Mrs. Miggins know that I could go and sit in her lounge and have a lovely cup of tea and a slice of Victoria sponge with her, which I'd love to do, and talk to her about drugs and politics and all that kind of stuff. I could guarantee that within 15 minutes, half an hour, I could get any drug delivered to her door. And little does she realise that her grandson is round the back of the farmyard barn smoking a spliff anyway. Yes, yes, yeah. it's, it's so true, it's so true. But do, what do you what, think, sorry, no, you go um, do you think, because I, I think for like, especially in the US, the legalisation of drugs and it's actually been used, like they use it for their own interests abroad, like... Um, it's it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but if we just upscale it to a global level for a moment, if I may, mm. following on what you've said, what we really need to do at a governmental level is be going out to these impoverished farmers in Colombia, for example, okay, mm. who at the end of a barrel of a gun, which is being pointed to their head, okay, are growing the coca leaves, right, which are then harvested and taken off to these secret factories in the jungle that turns into the cocaine that ends up on the streets of London and every other city in the country. We could, in essence, have like a, a fair trade arrangement whereby these impoverished farmers would grow a fair trade product. You know, we could harvest those coca leaves. We could ship them over to the UK where they could be processed and turned into cocaine in legitimate factories. So the, the contents of the cocaine would be kind of less toxic. The whole process would be regulated, strictly regulated, like it is if you want to buy paracetamol. Mm. You know, that's the kind of regulation that I'm talking about. And those impoverished farmers in Colombia who are growing this coca leaf, often under duress, would now be free to grow it as they saw it and would be paid a fair price for a fair product and they could lift their kids out of poverty and they could get an education. Mm. What are the dangers of legalising it though? What are the dangers? So, so uh, you know, I, I understand the argument towards it, but, but surely there are huge negatives, right, to legalising the whole situation? Not as I see it. Really? Do, do, you don't see any negatives? The benefits, well, the benefits would far, far outweigh any negatives. But for me, in order to do it properly, with intergovernmental arrangements and on a global scale, but we could start by doing it nationally, we need to beat the villains on three fronts. Price, purity and availability. Mm -hmm. Okay, because if you don't, you're still leaving 
a mm. huge potential for a black market to undercut you and all of that. Well, if we did it legally and it was regulated, the price wouldn't be a problem, okay? Because drugs only cost what they do because at every stage of transportation, people add a levy to it because mm. they need to be paid for the risk they take, mm. right? We're stripping all of that out of the industry because we're making it illegal, uh, an illegal industry. Mm. So that all kind of goes. We could make it at a fraction of the cost and completely undercut the villains on price easily. And purity, of course. Let me talk about purity now, right? Because the average kind of purity for a bit of Charlie that you buy on the streets these days mm. is something ludicrous between about 8 and 13% or something. It's nonsense. Is it really? These people are shoveling Charlie up their bugle, which is garbage, right? When I worked undercover, yeah. okay, I used to pride myself that if I'm buying a, you know, a multi-kilo consignment of cocaine, Oh okay, gosh. it would then go to the lab, obviously, after it, after I've negotiated to buy it. That's, that's oh, a big you know, Friday night. And the bad guys have been nicked, right, and the gear's gone off to the lab and all of that. I used to wait with considerable interest for the report to come back from the laboratory, which mm. would give you the purity of it. Now, bearing in mind we're talking about buying bricks, basically, you know, as they've been imported. So they've not been tampered. People haven't had time to tread all over it, you know, cut it and all that kind of mm. stuff. And if I bought gear that was lower than 95% pure, I would have failed massively. Oh I was buying 95, God. 96, mm. 97% pure banging gear. And these kids now, <laughs> these kids now are going out of a night, yeah? I'm big, Char I'm Charlie Big Potatoes, right? Because I've spent 200 quid on an eight ball, right? So I bought three and a half grams of Charlie, right? And, it, and, and I'm like, I'm a proper, proper bloke because I can do like, I can do an eight ball in a night. Well, of course you can, because you're doing 13% pure <laughs> jank. Utter, utter jank, right? I heard, I heard yeah. a report that they put loads of anti-worming agent. They found anti-worming. All kinds of shite they put in it, right? Just to bulk up its volume and, and then sell it and, and make a profit out of it. Mm. Let me tell you a little story, okay? Is, is right? that why it's messing up so many people's minds? Is because it's just well, full, well, full of so much well, shit. Well, anti-worming anti agent, apparently over, over a prolonged period of time, it kind of retards your brain. It may, it may damage. But let's face it, you don't know what's going in that gear, right? Yeah. You do not know what it is. So you're, you know, jack the lad, buy the eight ball on a Friday night, you're hoovering it up your bugle in the carsy, in the boozer, in the club, or wherever you might be, yeah, thinking you are freaking really cool. You are talking utter bollocks, by the way. <laughs> and I recommend this to anybody that's having a night on the Charlie, or if they're having a smoke, or whatever they're doing, right, get your phone out, voice notes, right? So say you're sitting around in the lounge, you know what I mean, you've got a big bifter on the go, right? You're on your fourth box of Maltesers, right? You think you understand modern jazz, right? And you're reading stuff into this movie, man, that quite simply ain't there, right? Okay, press the voice notes on your phone and leave it. For the hours that you're on the gear, whether you're on pills, Charlie, having a smoke, whatever you're doing, when you're in company, press those voice notes and leave it to record, right? And then the following day, or whensoever you get your shit together, right? Play it back. Play it back and listen to the <laughs> bollocks you've been talking, right? And then tell me, and then tell me you're really cool. I've done an eight ball and I, I just listen to yourself, right? It's utter, utter nonsense. You are tedious, you are tiresome, and you're talking out of your rear end. 
right? I mean, Jamie speaks bollocks. Right? <laughs> right? That's the time. That's the thing to do. Press the voice notes, record it, and then listen to yourself. Oh, can, can I, just hilarious. going back to the legalization of things, right? I just want to understand yeah. this. You know, okay, is there an argument, right, that suggests, you know, if we look at alcohol as an example, alcohol is, is, is legal for a certain age, right? And the amount of, amount of deaths from alcoholism is huge. Yeah. Right? It, it's, it's enormous. You know, drugs is illegal. The amount of deaths from drugs is pretty huge as well, right? And and not just not just deaths, but lives ruined and things like like all these different yeah. gambling, whatever it is. Yeah. If you legalize it, surely that is going to start to reach the sort of um, range that alcohol is killing people. If you legalize the drug market, I think there would be a spike in usage to start with, and I call it the curiosity spike. Mm-hmm. I think that is what would would happen in the early days, but there are precedents to follow here. If you look at certain states in America where they've legalized it, have they legalized actually, in something? Yeah, yeah, in certain states, yeah. So the, the the companies that manufacture it and sell it yeah. are all licensed, regulated, and they're selling it legally. And it's all about harm reduction for me, okay? Because you know a villain wants you to buy more gear and take more gear, mm. so they earn more money, mm-hmm. right? That's what they want. So it's inherently dangerous to you. You know, it's because they want you to shovel more up your nose or smoke more or do whatever. In a legalised and regulated manner where we would have what I shall unimaginatively call drug stores, Mm. right? Say it's the chemist or whatever, yeah? So it's Saturday night. um, You're going to stay in perhaps with your partner. You're going to watch a movie, you know, and Maltesers and all that sort of stuff. Uh, And say say you're a teenager, right? Mm. You're a teenager. So you're queuing up in the chemists to buy your couple of bifters that you're going to smoke that night, okay? Because for so many kids who take drugs, they think it's a bit cool. It's an act of rebellion and all that Mm. kind of stuff. Teenage rebellion, right? So there you are. You're the teenager queuing to buy your bifters and you're going to watch a movie. And in the queue in front of you, bearing in mind it's all legal, right, is your granddad. Because he's actually buying a bifter because he quite likes watching Strictly when he's stoned. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? My absolute baller. How, how cool is it going to be if you're in the same queue as your granddad? Yeah. It's I, not I rebellious what, anymore, is it? I know what it? you mean. You, 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 think, you think that the, the sense of um, rebellion, the sense of kind of like breaking the law, that kind of uh, unwritten mm. rule, like, oh, we shouldn't be doing this, that if that's taken away, then the coolness leaves it, the kind of that attitude towards it leaves it, and then it becomes... Not interesting anymore. Absolutely. It strips some of that away. Of course, people are still going to take drugs, right? And I get it. I understand why people take drugs. And I'm not a Puritan, and I know people will continue to take drugs, mm. which is why I want the industry licensed and regulated. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. you know, look look at the tragic deaths we get sometimes from a bad batch of heroin. You know, you'll turn on the news and they'll say there's been four deaths in a particular city or town. You know, please don't buy the gear, boom, boom, boom. Mm. Those things are going to become a thing of the past. We're going to reduce the harm that is done to people. Look at people who sadly lose their lives after taking a pill, sometimes just one pill. People are still going to want to take pills. But when they buy my legalised version of those pills Mm. that have been manufactured in a clean, sterile, licensed and regulated factory, Mm. there will not be the damaging elements in those pills. They will be as clean and as pure and as regulated as they possibly can be. And because it's not a taboo subject and because it's not illegal, in every nightclub there will be a medical team like they have in some clubs these days. 
right? And, and, your, and your granddad will be in the club as well. <laughs> and granddad will be in there, you know what I mean? God, that's so interesting. But also, just, I, I, I also want to mention, because you have your book out at the moment, which is, it's actually, it's actually sitting right here. It's called Manhunt. And this is your journey on the hunt for the UK's most wanted man. My, my, my life is currently dominated by my hunt for a man called Kevin Parle. P-A-R-L-E, Kevin Parle. Um, and I've been hunting him since the 29th of April 2019. So just over two and a half years I've been trying to find him. He's on the National Crime Agency's most wanted list. Mm. And law enforcement have, have regarded him as being wanted for 17 years, right? I've only been looking for him for two and a half years. So I've got at least 14 and a half years to go before I'm as useless as them. Right. What's his crime again? What's his Kevin Powell is unconvicted, but is wanted in connection with two separate murders. The first murder is the shooting dead of a 16-year-old boy. Yes, a kid, wow. right, called Liam Kelly in June 2004 in Liverpool. Now, Liam was not a model student. You know, his mum wouldn't even take issue with me describing him like that. But 16-year-old Liam... And let's face it, I was a pain in the ass when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I was. I wasn't a model student. Mm-hmm. Young Liam was denied the opportunity to grow, to mature, to enter manhood, to find a life partner, to get a job, to have a family, to provide for him. Denied all of those because he was blasted to death with a shotgun because of a 200 quid dispute at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. Kevin Powell is wanted for that crime. There is a European arrest warrant out for Kevin Powell. Mm-hmm. The second crime that he's wanted for is the shooting dead of 22-year-old Lucy Hargreaves, a mother of three young children. And everybody that I've met who knew Lucy mm-hmm. says to me she was as beautiful on the inside as she was on the outside. Not only was Lucy blasted to death with a shotgun, but then her body and her home was set on fire whilst her partner was upstairs with their youngest child. Oh. He had to leap out of the, the, the window with the child to escape the inferno. Kevin Powell wanted for both those crimes. Yes, my hunt for him dominates my life. I've been on the road all week this week. I've been to Brighton, Bournemouth, Milton Keynes and a few other places in between. Making inquiries about people that I believe are connected to people that harbour and fund Kevin Powell. Um, My hunt for him is the subject of a BBC podcast, a hugely popular BBC podcast, Mm. which is called Manhunt. Finding Kevin Powell. Mm. It's been downloaded nearly 4 million times. Mm. It was the BBC's top true crime podcast of 2020. And I would urge anybody, please, to go and have a listen to it. It's yeah, a piece it's amazing. of work that it's amazing. very proud of. Thank mm. you. Um, and also, it is, as you've kindly said, the subject of my latest book, which is called Manhunt. Um, How, are you close? Are, do you think you're close? Uh, well, I've recently spent 11 days in Spain. Um, Second time I've gone to Spain in connection with my hunt for Kevin Powell. Of course, there were a lot of frustrations during lockdown because yeah. I couldn't move and you know travel as much as we wanted to. This hunt, of course, is far from over because Kevin Powell is not yet in handcuffs and he needs to be placed in handcuffs so that he can be put before a court of law and he can answer the allegations that are made against him. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like how society should run, really. Totally. Otherwise, it's chaos. 100%. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So the hunt is far from over, clearly. Um, I shall simply... Never uh, give up and I I will not rest. By the way, the book is a very different vehicle from the podcast, okay? They're they're two clearly 
distinctly different things. And what I would say is many thousands of people have enjoyed both. And the book is also available as an audio book and yeah, Kindle yeah, yeah. And, and, and all of that. This is not about profit for me. This is about Kevin Park. This mm. is about finding Kevin Park out of the relatively small amount of money that I've earned in the last two and a half years throughout doing this, I have not put one carrot on my family's dining room table. Every pound I've spent on hunting Kevin Powell. Wow. This is about Powell, not profit. But what you will do by listening to the pod or reading or listening to the book is you will increase the public awareness of who Kevin Powell is and the crimes that he's wanted for. You'll be paying great testimony to the memories of, of Liam and Lucy, mm. And bit by bit, every new person that hear Kevin Powell's name for the first time is a small win for me mm. because we are shrinking the world for him. Well, why, why is there, um, obviously for the understandable things, right, the things that he's done, but for yourself, what, what is the sort of vendetta towards him? What is, why is it? So I have no vendetta, right? This is a professional yeah. challenge that I set myself to Really, and, and so once you him. set it, that's what you want to do. You yeah, want it was to my idea. It was completely my idea. When I left Hunted in yeah. February 2019, right, I'd done four of the main show, two celebrity versions, six series, I was done with it. Yeah. When I left there, I had to decide what my next major project would be. Would it mm. be another book? My publisher said, yeah, you can write another book if you've got the right subject material. I kind of, I'd become best known in my lowercase Z-list celebrity status, right? I'd become best known for my work on Hunted, mm. for hunting pretend fugitives. Mm. So for me, it made sense. With a lifetime of experience as an investigator, the contacts that I've got, my social media following, you know, which I isn't bad for a, a, you know, a nobody like me. And, of course, what I'd become best known for, combine all of those things, don't hunt pretend fugitives for an entertainment show, hunt a real one. And they don't yeah. come any more wanted than Kevin Park. Mm. Oh, my God, Peter. Honestly, dude, you, I could sit and talk with you. I could literally bore your ears off by just, like, chatting and asking you questions. Um Listen, we, we've taken up so much of your time um, and it's just fascinating to hear your story. I love it. And also, you go and listen to Manhunt if you want to go and listen to it because it is fascinating. And the hunt continues and you're, as you said, you're not going to stop. No, I've been, as I say, I've been on the road all week. It dominates my life. I've got much to do. The podcast will be coming back, by the way. Okay. We hope to bring it back with some further episodes in the new year, but don't hold me down to that time schedule. Um, there is so much going on, so much happening. And if anybody knows anything, or if anybody's got theory... Can, can I have a little look at his Yeah, please do. Take, take and keep that flyer, you, Alex. You've got a facial... printed on both sides. Oh, yeah, he, um, he works down in the reception. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Call, yeah. call him up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I've just taken my foot off his throat, actually. <laughs> yeah. He's bound and gagged down there. Um, no, so, it is, but yeah, I, I think anyone, like you said, and the more people that know about him, the better. So I'm, just, I'm very easily contactable, by the way, okay? I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Insta, hey, look at me, hip and down with the kids, everyone. Um, LinkedIn, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I've got a website, peterblexy.com. People can message me through that. Yeah. Um, the burner phone number, which never leaves my side, is 07908 694. Basically, I couldn't be more contactable. And if people have thoughts, theories, I'm... More than happy to listen to those. Some people have had some great ideas, in fact, in the last couple of two and a half years and have suggested things and have helped. And, mm. of course, if you want copies of my posters or flyers, 
I can send you the electric versions or I can put some in the post to you um, for you to pin up in your workplace or mm. what, wheresoever you may go, hand them out. Just please keep spreading the word because I'm going to squeeze the globe so tightly that eventually it's six foot six ginger nut is going <laughs> to pop up and the old Bill can slap the handcuffs on. Love that. Jesus, listen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We cannot appreciate it more. Cheers, buddy. Thank you thank so you. much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.